Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. My guest today is John Dwoskin. John is an executive advisor, business coach, and the founder CEO of the John Dwoskin Experience. He helps not just grow your business big, but very big. He's also written a wonderful book called The Think Big Movement. Welcome, John. Thanks, Paul. It's, uh, it's great to be on your show. I appreciate you having me on. Well, it's great to have you, and I, I got to start with really this, uh, this whole concept of not just growing somebody's company big, but very big. Yeah. Where, did, where did that come from, and uh, how do you help companies do that? So I'll tell you where it came from. It was I worked really hard on you know trying to figure out what my company name was going to be, and then I came up with this tagline of because um, I wanted to be very specific of what I do. So um, my tagline was originally growing your business big, and so we were um, my wife and I had some friends over and their kids, and we were all on the back porch. And I was telling my buddy and I said, hey, let me sh- I want to share with you the name of this company I'm starting and my tagline. But I just feel like it's the tagline is not finished yet. You know, John's Watson experience, grow your business big, very big. And then he looked at me and he said, really big. <laughs> and so and so um, so I loved it because and but, but I changed it to very big because I felt like the word very was more. Um, it kind of brought out everybody's kid in them, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I just feel like it was, I felt like it was a word that people would resonate with. At least mm-hmm. I did more. Um, and so that's kind of how it came about. And what I like, about, I'll tell you what I like about the story is typically I'm not, um, when it comes to stuff like that, it's, I, I love helping people, but sometimes I'm not, I don't, I mean, and I have business coaches and this and the other, but Sometimes I, I, I don't want to put people out, so I won't necessarily ask them for help. Friends or such, uh, you know, it's a weakness of mine that I've been growing over the years. But so for me to even put myself out there and say, like, hey, here's my here's a line, um, you know, help me with this. And uh, and that's how it came about. So it was a great learning lesson for me uh, on many levels. Yeah. And uh, well, I like how it's just kind of fun, too. Um, and yeah. it does get people's attention. Um, from a practical standpoint now, uh, and your, your materials and your book, um, are very impressive. I love the way you say you need to be very specific about what you do, because that's always been a pet peeve of mine is that I'll look at somebody's website, I'll hear their story and I go, but what do you do specifically? And then I get a little impatient. So with yours, I think it's really clear. But the, what, what I want to ask you about is how, how do you do that, right? So someone that is going to be really excited about the prospect, you know, sp- certainly entrepreneurs who want to grow their business big, what, tell, take us through briefly the process you use to help them do that. Of course. Well, first, it's really understanding what their big picture is and what, you know, what they want to accomplish and whether it's you know, um, overall or within the year. Um, and then what they immediately want, you know, what their biggest pain points are. And then we go back to the roots of the business and understand kind of the formula that they use to whether start it or build it. And 
then we back up into do they even have a mission statement and do they have values that everything is ultimately anchored in so they can make quick decisions. Um, and I find that, um, that a lot of times companies don't have the roots of the values and the mission um, and understanding really who they are, who their ideal client is, and what they're all about. And so it prevents them from making decisions. And the prevention of decisions takes so much time out of their day and their year that it prevents them from growing and it gets them really stuck. And so what I like to do with clients initially is really kind of get back to the bedrock, the, the real roots of kind of what the company's all about and figure out where it's broken and where, and where we can begin to fix it and just get a really big picture look at all of it. Because uh, a lot of times when, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing a little bit for the sake of time, but a lot of times when you open up that type of discussion with a business owner or someone running a division of a company, it's almost the first time in a while that they've taken the time to actually really think and connect the dots about how that is really connected. And they realize where we need, you know, where we really need to start. You know, that's a really good point. And you're obviously you're kind of speaking to the choir here around the importance of values and culture. But aren't you surprised sometimes when talking to these companies, like you just said, that either they've not uh, dealt with this issue for a while or even it hasn't come up in their decision making or they've never even done it at all and are trying to figure out how to grow their business? Yeah, it amazes me. And I'm I'm glad you said the word culture because I was thinking it the whole time I was talking. But it amazes me because I'll come in sometimes to a to a company, and I'll sit into their le- and I'll sit in their leadership meeting, or I'll sit in random meetings, and um, I and I'll ask them after, like, How, is that a typical meeting? And they'll say, yeah, that's a typical meeting, you know, where you know they leave with no action items or anything of that nature, but they're putting band aids on everything, you know. So I, as sitting back as an observer who's heightened in their awareness you know, what I find is they were just putting band-aids and they're not really talking about anything in particular. And so, and so they leave, everybody leaves almost more confused. And these are, these aren't just small companies. These are big major companies too. And so, yeah, it does. It amazes me how there, there's not someone there guiding them to, uh, to be back to what you said, and you and I are on the same page to be very specific, um, not only in their, uh, direction, but their intention and their decisions to to move the ball forward. Yeah, and if and if I uh, was talking to you or considering hiring you as a business coach um, <clears throat> or to take me through this journey, one of my questions would be, okay, well, what qualifies you to be able to teach me how to do that? And um, less about your business experience, but. You've just got a wonderful story uh, that framed you as a leader, uh, framed your philosophies about business and life uh, with great balance in your life as well. Um, so let's let's go back to some of those early influences in your in your sure. childhood. I know your your dad gave you a, a tape once that uh, <laughs> uh, made a big difference for you. Tell us about that. Yeah, we've talked. I mean, it's shape. You know, it's amazing, and you never know what's going to shape yourself or someone, but. When I was 18 years old, about to go to college, my dad was a, uh, a dentist and he had his own practice. And so I grew up with an entrepreneurial dad who not only was a dentist, but he bought other practices, et cetera. But when I was 18 years old, he gave me a set of tape sets uh, by Brian Tracy, The Psychology of Success. And he said to me, I want you to listen to these tapes because you'll learn more from these tapes and guys like Brian Tracy 
than you will college. But if you get anything less than a C in college, I'm pulling you, I'm pulling you home. <laughs> so I became addicted, Paul. And it was as if, it was as if I remember, I'm going to be 46 this year. It's as if it was yesterday. I remember the feeling of putting the headphones on my head, a Walkman, you know I mean? This yeah. was some time ago. And I remember listening to Brian Tracy's voice and thinking, this is exactly what I want to do for a career for my life. I want to start a business. I want to do exactly what he's doing, making people better, growing people's businesses, shifting people's perspective, growing people's mindset and giving tools. It was like it was it was it was like he was giving me tools that were that were in real time changing how I was going about so many things in my life that the next day I thought, I can't believe how much I've grown from today versus yesterday. I became addicted, knew that I wanted to do that as a career and, um, and have, have self-studied every single day since that moment, whether it was a Walkman, a seminar, um, tapes, seminar, going to seminars, listening to them on, you know, buying them and listening to them on, you know, cassettes and CDs, then online, um, now streaming, listening to a podcast, whatever it is, there isn't a day that goes by where I'm not spending time educating myself as a daily ritual to, to grow my skill set. You know, I think that's the the sign of a good entrepreneur, uh, a business person. We're all uh, try to at least be lifelong learners. But how you started that early is really amazing to me. I'm thinking about my daughter who just turned 16, and and thinking about in a year if I gave her some tapes to listen to, she'd go, "Dad, you know, what are you talking about? Get these out of here." And and uh, uh, I, I don't think would even have have the patience to sit down and do that. But, uh, you, you started then and you have continued to do it ever since then. Um, and that's really a testament to show that we, we never really know what we're doing. You know, if we're honest, we're, we're right. just, we're just learning along the way and we're making mistakes and, um, listening to other people, uh, and, and however we learn, um, the fact that you're open to it and you continue to be, uh, really says a lot. You had some other challenges too growing up, you know, uh, you had a learning disability, you had some health issues, even kind of faced death there for a moment. Yeah. Well, tell us what happened there. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I didn't know I was dyslexic until I was about 30, 31 years old, but I struggled in school always. I mean, I was always studying like crazy and, and really just it's, it's, school was very difficult for, difficult for me scholastically. And, um, and so when I was about 30 years old, I was in real estate and I was, um, I had this huge, I had five deals and they were these huge, I had a hundred million dollars worth of listings that I was promoting and to an office of mine in Chicago over a conference call from Detroit. And I had been spending hundreds of hours on these deals. I knew them like the back of my hand. But when people started asking me questions about them, I couldn't remember anything. So it was, it was so odd to me. It didn't make sense how my retrieval was, you know, not just like, you know, boom, boom, boom. And so I ended up getting, uh, I went, I went to my therapist at the time and I took a full IQ test and at the end, he said, you should buy a book living with dyslexia. And I said, well, for who? <laughs> he said, well, for, for you, you know, that's, you have these learning disabilities. And so I finally, and it was so funny too, because he said, you know, I know you think you're visual, but according to these tests, you're really more auto, um, auditory, mm-hmm. audible. I mean, I keep on saying audible because, uh, I listen to audible.com all the time. So, and it was amazing to me because, you know, my parents didn't know that, but my dad gave me a gift of 
listening to cassettes from the time I was 18. So I was training myself and I could never real, I never really connected the dots how much I retained versus listening to these, um, like uh, these tapes and these seminars that my dad got me hooked on versus what I retained studying at school. And so I think when I added up, you know, at that point I was 30, 31, 12, 13 years of listening to, you know, what I wanted to ultimately do with my life. And not that I didn't read, I was reading four books a month, but I was the slowest reader of anybody. And so I just, I had no choice up until the time I was 30 and then after 30 to spend time figuring out how I learned. And then it all clicked and made sense at 30, 31. I knew exactly how I needed to learn. And I knew that I needed to do certain things like create a cheat sheet of things. And even though um, I may know it like the back of my hand, I needed a cheat sheet to just kind of help me retrieve certain things. And so everything that I kind of self-taught myself, I then, you know, figured out how to really teach myself. And, and, and it was, to me, it was a blessing in disguise. It forced me to really think out of the box and, and grow. Hmm. And, uh, so today even, do you prefer to do things, uh, audibly and listen to tapes and all that? Is that your primary way of learning? My primary way is to listen. I mean, and I, and I love reading, but my retention is, you know, it's so high when I listen and, but I love to read. I still read every single day, but it's, it's, it's because of the, of, I love to read, but, and, um, but yeah, but my, but my first way, and thanks to podcasts and books on tape and, you know, and everything else, I mean, I can, you know, I can listen to so much while I drive. My car is like a university on wheels. <laughs> well, it's yeah. so funny because, uh, I'm, I don't listen to tapes at all, uh, books on tapes or, uh, or even too many podcasts. And I think part of the reason is I've never had a long enough commute where I'm in my car for that long, but yeah. I need, I need to test myself there to see what my retention would be because I fear that I wouldn't have high retention just listening. Um, but I haven't really tested that theory out. And the good thing is you were open to it. Um, it, you were open to listening to, uh, you know, uh, a therapist or whoever who said, um, you got to check this out. And you did. And, yeah. and it's, it, it's one way and changed your life. So what about this near death experience? What happened there? So, you know, that one was a real game changer for me. So when I was, um, when I was 30 years old, I, um, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer and it was right at the time my wife and I had recently been married. We were ready to have kids and, um, it was just, you know, it just kind of rocked my world. And so when I got, after I was diagnosed, there was about a day and a half where, um, I realized I didn't know what stage cancer I had. And I had just recently met somebody by the name of Johnny Immerman who almost died of testicular cancer, um, who then came through it and has started a phenomenal organization called Immerman Angels, uh, which helps, um, people around the world. Um, pairing one and one-on-one cancer survivors with people going through cancer. So I'm very active in that. On a side note, very active in that uh, charity. But um, uh, so I got diagnosed, and and in this day and a half, where I didn't know what stage. I remember thinking to myself, when I get through this, I'm going to start doing exactly what I want to do. No, no exceptions. Uh, I'm going to get into investment real estate. I'm going to. I I just. I was no longer going to stay complacent or not do follow my dreams and follow my passion because I didn't know. I didn't know what fate was in front of me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, turned out that I had uh, stage one and I just needed 17 treatments of radiation. And um, I was able to live a healthy life and have children. Um, and and it was I was I was very lucky um, in my when you when you have testicular cancer, you really only have to get checkups for five years. And I got checkups for 10. I just wanted to be extra safe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of a checkup is getting your blood work, especially after year five. You don't need CAT scans. And so I went to my radiation oncologist and got my blood work taken, was driving to Chicago. This was at when I was 40, was driving to Chicago for a meeting. And um, and my doctor called me and said, John, you got to get into my office immediately. You have cancer. I don't know why he told me this on the phone. You have <laughs> cancer. You have cancer riddled through your entire body. And I need to see you immediately. So I hung up the phone. I was a mess. I called my wife. I called my therapist, my therapist says, <laughs> you know, constant themes of my life. Um, and, uh, I don't even know how I drove home, frankly, but I did. Uh, we, my wife and I went to his office and this was a, you know, a very, uh, you know, an incredible renowned doctor. And he was like, I've never seen anything. I've never seen anything like this. We need to start chemo. There's, you know, you need to go through all these procedures. I mean, it was horrific. I was like, but you know, the first time I had cancer, I was meditating and I told my wife, I think I have testicular cancer. I just, I just felt it in my body. I had no symptoms. I just felt it intuitively. Wow. And this time, I, this time I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it. I didn't smell it. It wasn't like, it just wasn't present in my being. I can't explain it. And so, um, I said to the doctor, I want you to retake my blood and my tests. And he said, John, the odds are like one in a million. I mean, plus, you know, like this is, this is the worst. He was actually on his computer at one point. I said, what the hell are you doing? He said, in my 30 some years, I've never seen a case this bad. And he basically told me like, there was no hope. And I said, I just, I want you to rerun all my tests, my blood. I want an emergency CAT scan, an emergency ultrasound, just rerun everything for me. Um, so he did, and while keep on emphasizing to me that, you know, one plus in a million plus chances it would be, you know, that I was wrong. My wife and I, a day, again, so for a day and a half, I thought I was essentially dying. And um, at this point, you know, we had, um, uh, you know, children. So my wife and I were at a Starbucks. My cell phone rings. It was my doctor. And he called and he said, John, you're right. They botched your blood. You're absolutely fine. So a couple lessons there. One, when I've, I, I, I've always had a fear of death. My, my mom died young. Many people in my family died young. My dad, I mean, died a year and a half ago young. Life is so short. And, um, and also you have to be your own doctor in life. Had I not been my own doctor, I would have listened to those results, started chemotherapy, and God knows what would have happened, what would have happened after pumping all of those drugs into my body when I was perfectly healthy. So there are so many things. So I remember in that moment, it really messed me up because I kept on thinking like I, I should be in chemo right now. Or if I didn't, if I didn't have my voice, you know, such bad things could have happened. It messed my wife up for a year. She had like, I want, I don't want to say like post-traumatic stress disorder completely, but, um, it was so messed up. It was so emotionally jarring. But it, but it, but it cured me of my fear of death, and 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 pushing me in a direction of absolutely do this. 
and you can, there's nothing you can't, there's nothing you can't do. Um, and, and do it while you have the time and you are healthy. Uh, that's an amazing story. And, um, <clears throat> but what I get most out of that really is, uh, the lesson about challenging your doctor, challenging yeah. the healthcare system, um, asking questions, taking control of your healthcare. And that's because I've spent 30 years in the healthcare world and I just know how uh, so many people just are afraid to ask the right questions. And uh, yeah. good for you that you obviously did that and uh, at least cut short what was an incredibly scary situation. And, and then yeah. as, as with all these other things that have happened to you, you turned it into something uh, really positive. And, um, you know, when you talked about <clears throat> taking these experiences and, and then using them to drive you to say, well, I'm going to follow my dreams. I'm going to follow my passion. I know life is short. Um, you and, and talking about how you wanted to end up doing kind of what Brian Tracy did by inspiring other people, the work you're doing today, that didn't happen right away. You, you, you know, became the CEO of a company for a while. You had this uh, rich experience in, in real estate, how did one kind of lead to another that got you to where you are today? Yeah. You know, so I've, I've reinvented myself many times along the way, but it seemed to happen very organically. So to me, it makes perfect sense. But sometimes when I say to others, they're like, wow, you really reinvented yourself. But, um, so I started an internet company out of uh, college with my brother and a buddy of ours in June of 1995, which was very early on in the very infancy stage of, of, of the internet. And we started a company and my role at the company was head of sales. Um, I did, I, I ran the sales. I, I hired and grew the sales team. I also, um, wasn't, we didn't have a COO, but for all practical purposes, I was kind of the COO of the company in the sense of doing the business plan, creating the business plan, holding people to plan, you know, what I would call today is kind of like the chief accountability officer. So, um, and so we did that. We grew the company to over 300 clients, about two dozen people, and then we sold it to a Silicon Valley. And then we sold it to a Silicon Valley company, which at the time was the largest internet professional service firm in the world, a company called US Web. We were partners in that group for um, well, I was partners in that group until my contract was up, uh, which is about two years, two, a little over two years in. And um, and then I took a year and a half off, Paul, to just clear my head because I mm. thought, you know, after graduating college, working 100 hours a week and my grandfather who lived with us passed away. My mom passed away. I, I started a company, you know, sold the company. I mean, it was just, it was, it was a lot. So I just needed to kind of like, you know, get grounded. <laughs> Here comes my therapist again, get into therapy and just kind of get rooted again and get myself back to, back to base. Mm -hmm. um, during that time I met my wife and uh, spent a lot of time in Chicago. That's where she was living and, uh, and it was, a, it was an amazing year and a half, but I remember the day I left thinking, I'm going to take 18 months off a year and a half. And then a year and a half to the day I started, um, I started working again and I got into real estate. My grandfather was in real estate and I always wanted to get into investment real estate. It was always a passion of mine. So while I was going through radiation, I interviewed with a company called Marcus and Millichap to sell apartment buildings in Michigan. And it was an amazing experience for six years. I sold apartment buildings in Michigan I became one of the top conventional guys in my office. But then after six years and growing a team, I was just getting restless of that. And I, I thought, God, maybe it's time to start my own company. But, in the, but what happened was the, the person who was managing the office was getting promoted to um, oversee a bunch of offices. And they asked me if I would be interested in taking over as the manager of the Detroit office. 
long story short, I interviewed, I got the job. And August 4th of 08, I took over. And in September of 08, the market crashed and the office was just annihilated, as were so many people. Um, over the next, the course of the next six years, I grew the office to 45 agents and grew their teams and kind of considered myself kind of their interim COO. I was a national and regional trainer for the company. I was on the advisory board for the CEO. I was, I would go into some troubled offices and help out a little bit, uh, to help kind of lend some advice on how they, you know, what they could do, uh, to, uh, to, you know, kind of get their themselves to the next step. And when there was our managers leaving those offices or something. And it was great. I loved it. I mean, I was very enmeshed within the company and um, had a, an amazing experience. But again, after six years of that, I felt restless and just, you know, my Brian Tracy tapes were calling my name <laughs> and I wanted to go do my own business. But um, so while I was preparing to resign, um, I, um, I got offered an opportunity to go in-house for a year and uh, help restructure a real estate business. And um, I did that for a year as a, um, I had a bunch of titles, but overall the COO. And it was great. It was an amazing experience. But then it was time for me to like start my own business. And, um, and I did. And I started my own business and uh, helping companies you know, grow, like we talked about earlier, and just working with C-level executives and people who start companies, build companies, run companies. I work with managers to teach them how to manage people. I work with salespeople on how to grow their sales. I've had all of these different roles. So what makes me a little bit different, I know you asked this earlier, is um, what makes me different is I've actually, as a business coach, I've actually had all the hats and mm -hmm. the roles, mm -hmm. not all of them, but a lot of them, and I've been exposed to a lot of them. So I can bring a lot of perspective, but also a lot of real-time specific customized tools to the individual on how they can specifically grow their game immediately. So now in your own business, do you have employees, do you have a team, or is this work you pretty much do on your own? I have seven virtual people that work for me and okay. they do. I, I, it's What I like to do is be in front of clients, um, working with clients. And, um, so I have, I have marketing, I have somebody who does all my marketing, my technology, my social media posting, um, my, my bookkeeping, um, my, you know, how somebody who helps me do research when I need it. Um, all these different people that are, part of the team. I have a team of editors. So when I write, I send it to them. So I sound like, you know, I'm, I love to write, but I, you know, when I read a sentence, it sounds amazing. It has like five tenses, three tenses in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but, but so, so I need somebody to clean up my work and my team of editors has been amazing, are amazing. And, um, so yeah, so I know my strengths and I know what I'm not good at. And I surround myself with a team of people that can, um, that are, uh, you know, amazing and understand me and, um, are there to, you know, help me grow. You know, now that you've, uh, really gotten into your own business and you're doing this with this team, um, you're getting new experiences. It seems to me as a leader and you've been a leader, uh, in the past for sure. And especially in the real estate business, growing that organization and, uh, now, I'm sure that you're being tested at times. Can you think of a time where uh, you've had a, a humbling experience yourself, um, even as you uh, jumped off and, and started your own business? No, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one thing that uh, that jumps off is um, 
I was working with a client and they, um, early, early in the business and they, you know, and I, and my, my, there was not enough clarity on what my, what my role was, uh, to help the company. I thought it was one thing, um, but they thought it was another. And so, um, I kind of went down the, the road of what I, you know, was what I thought was best. Um, and, and we were all kind of on the page. Um, but they didn't understand my process. And, and I probably, and I, in hindsight, I didn't lay out what my process was because I thought that they kind of just were, they thought, I thought that they trusted the process that I was doing or that they just would give me the, 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 the time and the leeway I needed to, to roll it out. Um, and it caused a lot of, um, friction. And so what it did is it just kind of made me step back and say, you know what, I need to walk. Um, I need to let my clients understand what the process is, even if part of the process is, you know, it's going to take X amount of time to do this and X amount of time to do this. The results you're going to see are going to be here and mapping out kind of what the process is. So they understand what's around every corner as far as how I work. Cause sometimes how I work isn't like a typical business coach. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, do a, do B, do C, this equals D. A lot of what I do is very, um, custom to the person, to the team, to the group, to the company. And a lot of it. And one of the things I think I'm really good at is pivoting what, and being nimble when I need to, because sometimes things happen at meetings and I need to adjust and I need to shift and I need to um, create things to happen in order to get the end result that I wanted. And so walking people through the process of how I work, which, you know, if intuitively I need to change things, I will, but letting them know that that's how the process is and not to, it's, they're not hiring a McKenzie, um, a business coach, you know, where there's a formula for every little thing. And there's just, there's a, there's an intuitive walk that has to go when dealing with people and growth. Yeah, I, I can imagine it just has to come back to the basics of communication and setting realistic expectations. And yeah. one, of, one of the, uh, and you know, when I sold my company, went to this much larger public company, and then I saw McKinsey come in and these other big consultants, and oh my God, these people were so smart. But yeah, it was very formulaic and very intense processes. And, and, uh, when people like you are helping people grow their businesses, they're probably expecting maybe something like that or, or not sure exactly how you work. So that early lesson for you was, I got to be very clear, make sure we're on the same page that what I'm delivering is what they're expecting. And, uh, um, and that that's a good early lesson for you just in terms of building the team that you work with or, or even around your clientele. Can you think of a since you've started your own business, a, a really tough decision you've had to make? Well, since building my team, you know, with, with building my current team is, um, I haven't really had to make too much of a tough decision because I'm working with people that I've either known for a long time or I've come into contact with, with my team, um, through greatness, through amazing circumstances. So, um, so with my team, I, I really haven't had to make, you know, I haven't had to let anybody go on my team or reprimand them. You know, I, I'm, I'm very clear and give them a lot of um, room for creativity. And um, yeah. and so I haven't really had to make a, a tough decision with my team. 
Um, I did have to make a tough decision when it came to writing my second book. Um, I had come up with, I, I published a book in August of um, last year, 2017, um, signed on with my publisher to do a second book. And then about, um, I think six weeks ago, I woke up and I thought, and I had already outlined the whole book, um, talked to my co-writer about the book, outlined the book, came up with the characters, had the whole idea. I mean, understood exactly what the book was going to be. And then I woke up one morning and I thought, you know what? It's the wrong book. I can't write that book right now. It's not time to write that book. I need to write a different type of book. And so, and, and, and I need to outline the book and I need to spend the next six months, you know, outlining what I want this with this book to be. So I had to call my co-writer and say, I'm not doing this book. And I had to call my publisher and say, I'm not going to write this book. And, um, and that was tough for me. That was hard for me to kind of put that on hold because the idea is still in my head. So, um, uh, I've been, it's on paper now too, but, but it was hard for me because my co-writer was looking forward to writing another book with me. My publisher was as well. And, um, so that was, that was, that was a tough decision. That was a tough decision. Yeah. yeah. I've been there. I did that once too. And, uh, so it, the only thing that feels bad is you have this completely written book that's just sitting on a shelf <laughs> and may, may never get published, but, right. um, but those are important decisions to make. And something I, I've noticed about you is that I think you've just really done a nice job of establishing yourself as a thought leader and, and using that. Um, one to make the world a better place and to help change the way business is done, but also it's, it's a way to market yourself and your business and what you're trying to grow. How, how did you, uh, balance that is just, you know, hanging your shingle out that says I'm a business coach slash consultant slash advisor, whatever you call it with this idea that, uh, now you, you know, you written books, you blog, you've got, uh, um, multiple channels, you have multiple podcasts out there. Um, why do all of that, uh, as a way to build your own business? Well, um, one, I love it. Now, first and foremost, I love doing it all. And so it's my, it's just, I can't explain it, Paul. It's just in me. I love giving back. I love giving information out there for anybody in the world to get access to it. If they can't afford a business coach or they just need a piece of advice and they can find it and it, and it, and, and it helps people grow who I never even connect with or meet. It's just in me to share it. That that's first and foremost. It's like the content is in me. I got to get it out of me, hmm. and I'm thankful that the internet is what it is today. So I have the platform and the medium to do it. Because if it were 40 years ago, I couldn't I couldn't do it as effectively or as fluidly as I want to, because uh, the technology hadn't you know wasn't wasn't there. So that's first and foremost. I do it because I absolutely I love it and I'm obsessed with it. Um, but, but on top of that, um, uh, you know, I'd love to, I love marketing. And so I, I can take something that I absolutely love to do and I can shape it within a marketing program that actually helps me make, helps me grow my business. So, um, and that always was kind of a struggle for me in the sense of, you know, um, you know, balancing my spiritual side and my my ambitious, tenacious business person. Right. And, and where, and, and where the balance of that is, you know, because, uh, you know, business coaching is a, is a, is a big investment for companies and I'm not a nonprofit, but sometimes I feel like a monk, you know, and some, <laughs> and some days I, and some days I don't. So, um, 
So, so finding that balance is kind of like, you know, I focus on, I can tell people 90% what to do. And, 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 and a lot of people will grab onto that. And the 10% that want to know really how to do it and how to implement it and how to make it work specifically and custom for them, that's my client. And so that's how I kind of balance it. That's how I, that's how I've come to balance it. I use it as a marketing tool to focus so it's not confusing to other people. I want my message to be clear. But then if 90% of the, the I'll say the, the world, wants to use it for whatever they want to use it, but then the 10% or even the 5% who really want to use it to and, and know the how, that's my client. Yeah, um, that's great perspective. Now, you, your lessons started very early on. So what would you say to somebody that's young, um, you know, maybe even fresh out of college that's uh, – looking at your career and uh, wants to be like you one day, what kind of advice would you give them? I would say um, learn something new every day and, um, and be consistent and follow up and do everything you say you're going to do and be impeccable with your follow-up and be impeccable with your word. And you, the only brand that you really have to care about is your own brand. And all you have is your name and you, you know, hold that very sacred. And there's a lot of intellectual capital, no matter where you work and what you do or where you are, the more that you invest in yourself, nobody can take that intellectual capital away from you. Nobody. That's a great, uh, a great point. And just in the world we live in too, and how with the internet and with everything that's going on in the world, we're so exposed. Um, and just like you said, your word is everything and following up, doing what you say you're going to do. It's just uh, having integrity and accountability, um, unfortunately, isn't, uh, isn't something everybody has. And when you can do that, especially at a young age and, and maintain that consistently throughout your life, that's really positive. And, um, yeah. you have such great messages, John, and, and, uh, well, um, I, I really appreciate you being on today. I want to finish up with just a little game of association as I throw yeah. out a few questions and tell me what comes to your mind. Um, uh, name a famous leader uh, you look up to. I love Abraham Lincoln. And the reason is, is because I'm not someone who raises my voice. I mean, unless my kids are doing something where I think they're going to hurt themselves or each other, <laughs> but <laughs> I am not one to raise my voice. And I believe that um, you can be firm and get your point across. You can be firm and influence. You can be firm when you make a decision. And I think Abraham Lincoln was that way as a leader. He was he made decisions. He was firm and he was direct. Yeah, that's a great one. I think it was his birthday yesterday if I was uh, oh. in the news. Uh, how about yeah. a great book other than your own uh, that influenced yeah. your, that your leadership style? So two books, uh, two books, one, which is one of my all time favorite books, Darren Hardy, the compound effect. It is one of the best concepts in business and in life, period, the end. Basically everything you do compounds positively or negatively. It is a, it's a must read. I always am giving out tons of copies of that book. That's a great one. Um, the next book is the four agreements. It's one of my favorite books. I've read it, I think five, six times. And it just basically talks about kind of, um, you know, some rules to live your life by. And I just think it's, it's priceless. Those are great ones. Uh, what about your all time favorite movie? 
You know, my all-time favorite movie, that's hard, because I like, you know, I love Shawshank Redemption, one of my all-time favorite movies. I love the movie Spy, which is hilarious as a comedy. But if I had to pick movies that were my favorite, I would have to say just the Star Wars, you know, early on movies. Um, I just think they are, they're phenomenal movies, and, and they've got deep meaning. You know, they're all about the Force. The Force is energy, and everything we do is people and as business people is energy. And so if you really pay attention to what they're talking about in Star Wars, um, you know, it's, it's about what do you do when you have power? And it's, it's, uh, it's important. And I, I love those movies. Yeah, those are great. And, and it's funny how um, I think Shawshank is probably the one that comes up the most. Um, that's a great movie ah, as well. The best. Um, oh, I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So now uh, you find yourself stranded on an island. You get to bring one thing with you. What would it be? That's a really hard question. Um, because can I bring my iPhone with all my my apps and a ch- lifetime chargeable battery? <laughs> lifetime. Yeah, somebody <laughs> somebody said that recently and I said, "Yeah, but if you don't have a charger, it's not going to last for long." So, if there is such a right. thing, uh, yeah, right. I think so. I think so. You know, you get right. to choose. All right. Um, right. and lastly, what's uh what's something about you that people may not know? Um Let's see. That's a good question. You know, I, I do my best to be pretty transparent um, as far as kind of who I am and uh, and and what I talk about. And um, but I would say something. Um, let me think about that for twenty seconds. Something that uh, you know, I love. I love. Oh, here's something. I think a lot of people think that I'm really, really extroverted. And, and I am to a point, um, but I really, um, I love um, my alone time and I love really my favorite thing to do is just be with my family and be at home. You know, I'm not one that likes to go out to, um, uh, you know, networking events. I don't drink. I don't go to, I don't really go to bars ever. Uh, people think I'm more extroverted than I am, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, and I am to a point, but I'm also, um, you know, I like to be home with my family, my kids and my wife, um, just chilling with them. And that makes me very content. Yeah, that's very cool. I'm, I'm the same yeah. way, just like that alone time. Um, well, God, John, this has been great. So many good stories and messages. Uh, let me let me tell you a couple of things that I took away from this, and I hope our listeners will as well. Uh, from a business standpoint, uh, you just really started about talking about how it's important to be specific about what you do. And I just think that that's a really important point for business owners who love to tell and weave grand stories about their companies and their backgrounds. But sometimes it makes it more difficult for the potential customer, the customer to understand unless you come right out and say it. Um, every company needs these roots the, um, in order to grow these core values and vision. And uh, I like how that's really the first thing that you focus on um, if a company doesn't have that uh, when you bring them on as clients. Uh, listen to your dad. And I don't just mean your dad, of course, your parents. But when some when your dad um, shares those tapes with you, those Brian Tracy tapes early on, uh, you not only listen to him, but you listen to the tapes and they change your life. And um, for all those uh, teenagers out there who think we, we don't have any wisdom, um, once in a while we do have something important to say. So hopefully they'll, <laughs> they'll listen to us. Um, you know, overcoming challenges uh, that you've had your whole life. And, and you, you know, in, in this way, you're no different than every all of us. We've all had challenges personally, you know, from 
dyslexia, the testicular cancer, you know, it's, it's not so much what you went through, it's what you did after. It's how, it's what you learned from there, um, and how you, uh, looked at life differently and, and took advantage of that. Didn't get down and actually just made it, made you stronger, um, allowed you to follow your passions, follow your dreams. Um, during those health concerns, I think that's just something so important for people is that, uh, uh, listen to your heart and to yourself and always ask questions. And, um, you know, doctors aren't, uh, uh, don't know everything. They do their best like we all do, but they make mistakes too. And, um, you've got to ask questions and take control of your own healthcare. I think that's just, um, so important. Um, uh, just reinventing yourself. It's, it's okay. It's, uh, the chances that you, uh, find your passion very early in your life or early in your career are so small and you just need to be open to the fact that we're going to go through these cycles where you are going to reinvent ourselves. You got to know your limitations. Um, ultimately, love what you do. Share it with the world, which I think you've done in, in a great way. And I think something so importantly you said at the end for younger people and something that impresses me is when is that rare young person who uh, actually realizes the importance of being attentive, uh, responding, communicating, uh, being accountable, keeping promises, just the basics of life, but that sometimes we take for granted nowadays. And uh, if we can teach our kids to be that way, then they're going to grow up to be wonderful adults and hopefully uh, maybe some good new business people out there as well. So um, so great lessons, John. Uh, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show today. Well, thanks, Paul. Thank you all for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. Until next time.